All right, let's pray. God, we pray that you would open our hearts as we open your word. We pray that you would be exalted, that you would speak to us, and that you would glorify your name and glorify your word. So please fill us up, God. We, we come with hearts ready to learn, and we pray that you would teach us. Uh, so have your way with us, and it's in your name, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible with you, would you please turn to Gal- the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Um, if you're doing the reading, it ought to be really easy to find because you read it this morning. So if you have a bookmark stuck in the reading, you should be pretty good. Um, so, but, you know, Wednesday nights we're doing a recap of what we've been reading through the Bible uh, as a church uh, going through it in a year. I would really encourage everybody, um, even if you're not doing the plan or whatever, grab one of the Through the Bible in a Year things off the back table and just do it through the end of the year. Um, because just pick up, you know, tomorrow, Galatians chapter 4, 5, and 6. Because um, we're coming in, you know, I mean, all Scripture is important. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But there are pockets of Scripture that are just exceptional in how clearly and how profoundly they speak to our lives, okay? And, um, and I get pretty excited about the whole New Testament, honestly. Uh, I get excited about the whole Bible, actually. You should, I can go off on the Old Testament as well as I can go off on the New Testament. But um, specifically, um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Peter, Jude, you know, we're just Hebrews, James. We're coming into just some amazing portions of Scripture where um, the Lord, through the apostles, says some just absolutely profound things that, um, that just have tons of application. So I would just really encourage you, you know, if you haven't done it, there's not, there's not a whole lot of guilt anyways. Um, you know, maybe just a little bit. But um, just, you know, pick it up and, and just go for it through the end of the year. And I think you'll be really blessed. Um, but anyways, so tonight we're just going to cover, we're going to go through Galatians where we were in this morning's reading. And we're going to try and, we're going to move pretty fast through it. But we're going to try and get through all three chapters, Lord willing. Um, but, um, but really, as just, you know, we're coming to such rich portions of Scripture that you don't want to stop and just take a verse because it's, each verse is so powerful, right? And you can, you can and pastors do uh, very often just park and, and we'll spend a week on a verse, right? Because there's so much packed into these. But there's also something really awesome about getting to capture it in bigger chunks, right? And everybody, you know, the Lord creates us with different personalities and some people tend to see things with very fine brushstrokes and some people tend to see really wide brushstrokes. And there's value in both of those. Um, so, you know, there's, there's something to be said for slowing down and really going slow. And, you know, sometimes you take a, just a paragraph a day through a portion of Scripture. But sometimes there's something really beautiful about doing a big chunk all at once. Um, and so anyways, tonight we're just going to hit a chunk of the book of Galatians. So the book of Galatians uh, is written to a church in the region of Galatia, since the people there were the Galatians. Um, it was a church that the Apostle Paul started on one of his missionary journeys. And he's writing this letter to them because uh, there's false doctrine coming into the church. And he needs to address it. And so the book of Galatians is actually a very corrective letter. Paul, um, basically, it, 
He says hi for five verses, and then he launches right into, okay, guys, here's the problem. Here's what you're doing wrong. He's actually going to say, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. Right? He says, I'm pretty blown away by the fact that you guys are abandoning Jesus Christ this quickly. Okay? So it's a very corrective letter, but it's corrective in a way that's incredibly refreshing. Because Paul's solution to bad doctrine, um, and we see this really through most of his books, and most of his letters, his solution to bad doctrine is not always to go through and refute every point of doctrine. Now, there's, a, there's a place for that, and there are parts of the scripture where he does that. But by and large, Paul's focus when something like that happens is to, when there's bad doctrine or heresy coming into the church, it's just to emphasize good doctrine, right? Um, the Colossian church was having all these weird teachings about who Jesus was and wasn't, and they thought, you know, he wasn't really God. And Paul didn't go in and say, here's 10 reasons why Jesus is God. He just said, hey, let's just talk about Jesus. Let's just, you know, let's just emphasize who Christ is, right? And he spends the whole book of Colossians talking about who is Jesus and how do we respond. And so there's all these different things. But in the book of Galatians, Paul's correcting them, but it's in a way that's very refreshing. So he starts off, verse, chapter 1, verse 1, if you're there. Um, if you're not, I'm going to start reading anyways. He says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So Paul, right off the bat, he's laying claim to authority, okay? He says, hey, uh, I'm Paul, I'm writing this letter, and I am not writing this letter on my own power. I'm not writing this letter because I've been ordained by men. I'm writing this letter because I have been an, made an apostle through Jesus Christ and through God the Father, okay? Paul's saying, this is not, I am not about to give you my opinion right here. I am about to give you the authority of God. And then uh, verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. So verse 3 through 5, if you, if you like summaries and bullet points, verse 3 through 5 of Galatians is the summary of the entire book. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. All right, that's the summary of Galatians, is we get grace and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ because he gave himself for our sins so that he could rescue us according to the will of God for the glory of God. All right, that's the summary. All right, and we talked about last week, all of Paul's letters, he says grace and peace, and that's the combination of the Greek greeting and the Hebrew greeting. It's grace and peace, and they're always in that order, and you know, sometimes you hear this a lot, and it sounds old, but it never gets old, because you can't have the peace of God until you've had the grace of God, right? If you're living a life that's marked by an absence of peace, the solution is not to look for peace, the solution is to look for grace, to understand grace, because grace comes before peace, all right, and so Colos Galatians, sorry, Galatians is a book about grace. Galatians is written to people who were not understanding grace. And so the, the main heresy that Paul's going to correct is this idea of Judaism, this idea that, you know what, Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, and that's great, but you know what, if you really want to be spiritual, you need to follow some extra rules, right? Like, Getting saved by God is awesome, right? God did a great first step. He, had, he, gov he covered 
just about everything. But he needs us to kind of finish that last leg of the trip to heaven, right? And that's, that's this heresy that's coming into the church. And so Paul is going to refute that, not by saying, no, that's wrong. He's going to say, hey, you know, let's, let's just go back and look at grace. Let's discuss grace. What is the grace of God, okay? But it is an important thing for us to understand in our lives because we are, as a church, believe the whole Bible is true, all right? So then why, as a church, do we not meet on Saturdays? Why is it that probably everybody in this room is wearing clothing that's a blend of, you know, polyester and cotton and wool? Because it says in the Bible you shouldn't wear a garment with mixed cloth, right? Why is it that um, we can put bacon bits on our salads when we're eating together, right? Because it says in here not to eat pork, right? So what, what's the answer? Because we sort of understand as Christians that, you know, the Old Testament law doesn't apply to us. But it's like, you know, hey, God gave those rules, so maybe if we follow them, we'll be more like God, we'll be a little bit holier and awesomer than everybody else, right? And that's, that's the temptation. And so we have to, in order to counter that, we, don't, we have to come to an understanding of grace. And so that's what Paul is going to do, all right? And so we'll kind of go on, we'll elaborate, we'll try and cover some of that as we're going on, but we're going to keep moving here for just a bit. Um, but verse 6, Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So he says, guys, I'm, I'm blown away at the fact that you are walking away from this concept of grace so quickly. All right, this church is not that old. Paul says, you guys, what's going on? Right? And uh, but even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel, contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So Paul says, okay, I outlined to you guys the gospel of grace. All right, and, and I think we're all pretty familiar with this, but what is the concept of grace? The concept of grace is human beings are completely incapable of attaining righteousness before God. Right? And so God did not say, if, God did not say, you guys, I'll meet you halfway. Right? He didn't say, you gotta, you gotta start, you gotta initiate. He said, no, 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 I'm not gonna ask you to do anything because you're incapable of doing anything. You're completely helpless. Right? So I will send my son down there, he will live among you, he will die on a cross to pay the full price for your sins. Right? The full price. So that all you have to do is just receive it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you know, commit a certain number of acts or, or do a certain number of steps or whatever. You just have to receive that this is what I've done and be okay with it. And that's grace, right? Grace is the gift of God. It's receiving and accepting the gift of God for salvation. And that's sort of the initial part. And then grace is a, is a lifelong process of learning to just receive the goodness of God in our lives, okay? That's, that's the gospel of grace. That's what we believe and teach as a church. That's what the Bible teaches, all right? But, gee, if, if God came all the way, then that means that I don't get any, like, points for being cool. I don't get any points for being, you know, slick or hip or intelligent or, you know, or good-looking. Like, you don't get any points, right? It's not like a sliding scale. That means God did everything. So it's very tempting because we love to stroke, stroke our own egos, right? If we can convince ourselves that, you know, rules are just a little bit important, 
then I'm a slightly better rule follower than you. That makes me slightly holier than you. You know, we're still both going to heaven, but we both know that I'm better, right? Right? That's, that's, that's the concept that's coming into this church. And Paul says, guys, that's baloney. And I don't care who comes and tells you. I don't care if it's an angel that comes and tells you that. He's going to be cursed. Okay? Cursed is a pretty strong word. Paul is not playing games here. Right? Paul says, you've got to understand. Grace is what we're talking about right here. Grace is what matters. Right? And in some ways, you know, tonight we're covering what's arguably sort of a simple doctrine. Because it's very foundational. It's very essential to Christianity. And so it's understood in in sort of a base level pretty early on if, if you're coming to the Lord. But we're also talking about something that's incredibly profound that you'll never tap the limits of, right? And so that's, that's the beauty of teaching something like this is we're not really gonna, in some ways, we're not gonna cover anything new tonight that you guys probably don't already know. On the flip side, we're gonna cover the most profound thing that we can experience as human beings, right? So... Paul's going to go on, and we're not going to read, in the interest of time, we're not going to read the end of chapter 1 or chapter 2, but basically Paul's going to go on, and he's going to say, okay, I taught you guys grace, right? And remember, verse 1, Paul lays claim to authority. Paul says, I'm teaching you grace, and it's not because I came up with this idea. It's because Jesus Christ taught me this concept of grace. In, in 2 Corinthians, where we were reading uh, just a couple days ago, Paul describes being caught up to heaven, and he says, I heard things, and I saw Christ. And so Paul was actually taken to heaven, and Jesus Christ taught Paul about grace. Okay? Which is, you know, pretty awesome, right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good way to, to learn about grace. Um, and then Paul, you know, chapter 2, Paul says, basically, I got this revelation from God. I went back to Jerusalem where the church was. I met with the elders in private to say, hey, I had this revelation. I need to make sure that this is accurate with what Jesus taught you guys when he was on earth. And they said, yep, that's accurate. So Paul's saying, you know, not that I needed their verification, but basically to point out the church is not in contradiction. This is what the church believes and teaches. This is what we understand. This is grace. Okay? So that's chapter 2. I know we just hit that like super way fast. But, um, but I wanted to get to chapter 3. So basically chapter 1, Paul says, let's talk about grace. Chapter 2, Paul says, I'm authorized to do so because Jesus Christ taught me about grace. All right? And so I'm not just pitching you my idea. I'm not pitching you my opinion. I'm pitching you what Jesus Christ said about grace, which is a pretty credible source, right? Um, so that takes us to chapter 3. And we'll slow down a little bit for chapter 3, uh, maybe. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul says, have you guys lost your marbles? Right? He says, who has bewitched you? Who is taking you in? You guys are suckers for this. Right? You are completely falling for this. And I just want, to, I want you to answer me one question. When the Spirit of God came upon you and transformed you from a sinner to a child of God. Did that happen by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you receive that because you followed all the rules or did you receive that because you believed God and he gifted it to you? Right? That's his question. And it's an important question because these guys, what these guys were coming into the church and teaching was, hey, 
being a Christian is awesome, but really, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to follow all the rules in the Old Testament, right? And you got you to follow grace plus the Old Testament. Grace plus, grace and a little more, grace and a little bit of your effort, grace and a, a little bit of your intellect and your brilliance and, and uh, you know, and our curriculum that you can buy, right? Grace and a little bit of this. And Paul says, no, 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 no. When the Spirit of God transformed you, when you were saved, were you saved by the works of the law or were you saved by the hearing of faith? What's the answer? How are we saved? We are saved by hearing with faith, by believing and receiving, right? We're not saved by acting. We're saved by receiving. Verse three, Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Paul says, guys, you started out in the spirit, right? Salvation happened by the spirit of God. Salvation happened. That moment when you transformed from a person headed to hell to a person headed to heaven, that happened by the spirit of God, okay? That's the biggest possible switch that can happen in a person's soul, right? Paul said, that happened by the spirit. And you're trying to tell me that anything else that's gonna happen from here on out is gonna happen because of your own efforts, right? I mean, that's, you think about it, like we like, we like the idea of miracles, right? We think they're, they're awesome. We love these testimonies. I was listening to one today of, you know, somebody had a, a child born with a major birth defect and they're getting ready to go into surgery and the doctor comes out and says, hey, I don't know what the deal is, but we just did a, one more x-ray and your child's fine, right? We love those stories because there's, it's so powerful. It's such a great testimony to what God's able to do, right? But God is able to turn a heart of darkness into a heart of light. And that is you know, that's no less significant. In fact, that's drastically more significant, right? We love the one, we love the miracles we can see and sort of understand, right? And those are great, don't get me wrong. But the real miracle, the real transformation that God works is when a human heart receives the gift of grace. Paul says, if that started, if that itself happened with the Spirit of God by receiving it with faith, why do you think you're gonna finish the job by your own efforts? Right? If God can start something that transformative and that powerful by his spirit alone, he does not need your efforts to finish it out. Right? So, verse 5, Paul says, So then, does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's going to ask him a rhetorical question. He says, uh, so remind me again, guys, I forget now. Um, so Jesus saved you by faith. Um, does he need your works? I forget. Would you, would you, would you clarify this for me? Right? Paul's, I love, I love Paul. Paul's right up my alley. Um, so verse six, and, and Paul, what he's going to do here is he's, he's going to explain, he's going to take this idea that you have to obey the law, and he's going to say, okay, let's, let's take your argument here for a second. Let's just, let's just run with this idea. Let's just look to the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament says, right? Because these Judaizers, people who are trying to conform them to the Judaic law, they're saying, oh, you know, the Old Testament is where we have the laws, where we have to follow all the rules. And Paul says, okay, you know what? Let's go to the Old Testament. And we see this with Paul a lot. He'll say, hey, okay, so let's, let's, this is true, right? This is true also, right? So let's connect the dots. Paul does this all the time. He says, uh, verse six, even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. 
The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So Paul's going back to a very important verse that is really critical for us to understand. In the book of Genesis, before the Old Testament law had even been given, God is talking to Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a child. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And it says in Genesis that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and his belief made him righteous. His receiving of God's truth made him righteous. And Paul's making the point here, okay, if you want to get technical on me about the law, right, Let's just cover the fact that Abraham is righteous before the law. Abraham's righteous without even the opportunity to obey the law. Abraham's considered the father of the Jewish people, right? He's considered pretty dang righteous by the Jewish people, but he never obeyed any of the law because he didn't have the law to obey, but God considered him righteous. How did God consider him righteous? It wasn't because he kept the law. It was because Abraham believed in God. All right? And he was the father. So he's saying, look, take this idea that belief in God actually justified people even before the law. Okay? And then he goes to verse 10. Um, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith." So he says, okay, here's the deal. The law was given as an example of what counts. Because people love to say, okay, no, no, I just, you know, believing, gee, that's just a little loose, right? I just, I don't know, I like something concrete. I want to know what counts. What can I do to make myself righteous? And so God said, okay, here's the law. If you follow all, I think it's 613 or something like that, rules perfectly till the day you die, we'll say it, we'll call it even, right? God says, here's what counts. And so the law isn't, Paul says, you know, the law isn't bad. God gave the law. The law isn't wrong. The law is important, right? And which is why as Christians, we still go back and read the Old Testament. We still read the law. But his point is, the law is given not to make us holy, but to prove that we're incapable of making us ourselves holy, right? The law is given as a gift to point to the fact that we have to receive righteousness by faith. And so Paul says in verse 15, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it's been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Okay, so what's he saying here? This is super important, all right? And um, 
just parenthetically, if you're a verbal processor like myself, and you're reading, uh, you're reading the Bible, and you come to a passage, and you're like, I have no idea what he just said, go back through and read it out loud, okay? And it, it, uh, it really helps. If the house is really quiet, and you don't want to mess it up, just mouth it, right? But, but say the words if you're having a hard time, and it will sometimes help to click. So Paul says, okay, I'm, talking about, I'm just going to talk about human relationships for a second here. When we make a contract between two people, and we both shake hands on it, and we sign on it, and it's notarized and all that. One party can't then go back and add to it, right? That's not how contracts work. You can only change it if both parties agree. If something else comes in, it can be an addition or whatever. You can work that out later, but that does not change the contract, right? You guys with me? So Paul says, here's the deal. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the contract, that righteousness comes by belief in God, all right? The law is an add-on. The law does not change that contract. The law just says, hey, if you want to tack this on, okay, what's, what's the purpose of the law? Paul, so do you get what I'm saying here? The contract was made initially, all right? The contract, God made a covenant with Abraham, and so righteousness comes through faith. The law comes 430 years later, all right? The law is an addition. So, but the point is, the contract is there first. The contract is there that we can be made righteous by faith. So verse 19, Paul says, sorry, I had two pages of notes tonight because it was so good. Not what I'm saying, but Galatians. Paul says, verse 19, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until, notice that word until, the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, once again, what's he saying here? Okay, so he says, okay, so why the law? Right? Which is, which is a very logical question. If the contract had already been given, why the law? Okay, and here's, the, in a nutshell, the contract was given, right? We can be made righteous by faith. But there are still consequences for sin. And the consequence for sin is death. All right? There has to be a shedding of blood for forgiveness of sins. That's the way judgment works. All right? So if there's sin, there has to be death. There has to be bloodshed. All right? And so even Abraham after he's made righteous, is still going to build altars and offer sacrifices. Abraham, there's still going to be death in Abraham's life because there's still consequences of sin on earth. All right? So why the law? What's the purpose? Well, there has to be bloodshed. So the Lord created an ordered system by which that could take place. Okay? So you have the law. You have all the sacrifices. And they're not there to make us holy but they're there to provide a structure and a framework within which the bloodshed can happen, within which the sacrifices can take place without everybody saying, you know, I think I've got the corner on exactly how to do the sacrifices, or I think the Lord wants me to do it this way, or whatever. Paul, you know, the law was given to, to sort of hold things down 
until the final bloodshed took place. When did the final bloodshed take place? When Christ was crucified, right? That bloodshed finished it out. That fulfilled any contractual obligation, right? The blood of Christ shed on the cross for you and me finished up the need for the law. So as Christians, why don't we fulfill the law? Why don't we obey all the law? Because the law has been fulfilled. Not because the law is bad, but because it's been fulfilled. It's been finished. That part of the contract is over and done. Okay? So Paul says the law was given, the law was good. But remember, he's talking to a church that's wanting to say, okay, maybe we should add the law back in. Paul says, no, no, no. The law was fulfilled. It's done. You don't need the law anymore. Right? We're beyond that. In verse 23, he says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which is later to be revealed. The law sort of you know, held us in check. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Basically, the law was our teacher. The law taught us that we needed to ha- Christ. Okay, but Christ came, so we don't need a teacher anymore, right? It's like we kind of, you got your degree. You don't have to go to school anymore, right? Christ came. You don't need the law anymore. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is, therefore, neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Paul says, you know what? Christ finished the deal, right? Christ completed the gospel. The good news is there, it exists in full form. And so you don't need the law. And if you are baptized in faith with Christ, then guess what? You're the descendants of the promise that God made to Abraham. Paul says, you've got every ounce of like, you know, cool Old Testament vibe that you could possibly want. You don't need Judaizers to come in and add to that. You don't need to add rules. You don't need to add regulations. You just need to stand in the grace of Christ, right? That gives you the fullness of the Old Testament. That gives you all the fullness of the New Testament, right? The grace of God. You just stand in that and bear fruit, right? That is grace. That's what the gospel is. That's why as, as a church, we don't have to follow the law, right? So what, are we picking and choosing what rules we want to follow? No, no. If the Lord repeats a command in the New Testament, he says, I want you to do this, then as, as Christians we say, okay, cool, we'll do that. Jesus said to do it, we'll do it, right? But we're saved by faith, right? It's been said You know, we're not saved by works, we're saved for works. The Lord does not save us by anything we do. He invites us to participate in good works. He invites us to do things for the glory of the kingdom of God, but that doesn't save us. That doesn't draw us any closer to God. That doesn't make us any more righteous. That doesn't make God love us anymore. That's just a privilege of, of what we get to do, of how we get to respond. But that's grace in a nutshell. And you know what the great part is? That's just the first half of the book of Galatians, right? Chapters four, five, and six, Paul's gonna go on. He's gonna talk about being sons of Christ. He's gonna talk about walking in the spirit of God, what the fruit of that is in our lives. He's gonna talk about how we respond to one another in that grace, right? I mean, that's, grace is pretty awesome. We just spent three chapters on it. We're halfway there, 
Okay, Ephesians is coming up next. Ephesians, Paul's gonna spend three chapters talking about here's how good God has been. And he's gonna spend three chapters saying, hey, you know what? Let's respond to that goodness. Colossians is coming up. Paul's gonna say, hey, here's who Jesus Christ is. And he's gonna say, here's how we respond to who Jesus Christ is. Philippians is coming. Paul says, guys, Jesus Christ is in control. So he spends the rest of the book saying, I don't care what my circumstances are because Jesus Christ is in control, right? So this is, you know, this is the gospel. This is what makes Christianity what it is, right? This is what makes life worth living, okay? Is what we're reading right here, right now. <clears throat> this is the good stuff, right? So, God offers us his grace. Walk in it. Do you know the, the, one of the most beautiful things about walking in grace? And I heard this from a pastor this year, and it really has, has resonated with me, is when the Bible talks about walking in grace, it talks about bearing fruit. And bearing fruit is a really interesting thing that we really don't understand very well as Americans because Americans don't bear fruit. We produce fruit, right? We genetically modify things. We figure out a way to turn things out of a factory. We understand deadlines. We understand, you know, crunch schedules. We understand manufacturing. We understand just in time. We understand all these things. We don't really understand bearing fruit because how do you bear fruit? You just kind of let the tree do its thing, right? You just, it just happens. Some people bear fruit, you know, like a, like a day lily. They just kind of pop up, right? Some people bear fruit like an oak tree, and it's like 30 years before you get the first acorn. But we're all called to bear fruit. So we bear fruit in grace by just letting grace work, right? It's not because we do the works of the law, because the law's been fulfilled. We're already heirs of Abraham. We believe through faith. And so we receive the fullness of the gospel, right? That is exciting stuff. That's what makes life worth living. So that's Galatians. That's the first half of Galatians anyway. Second half is just as good, all right? So keep reading. Keep, keep opening up and saying, God, what do you want to say to me? Because the Lord really wants to speak to us. The Lord really wants to teach us about who he is and how we can respond to that, okay? So Lord... We thank you for your word. We're blessed and we are humbled by the fact that you would choose to reveal so much of yourself to us. God, I pray that we would be people who, who search your word, people who are hungry to understand who you are, what you want us to do, what you're inviting us to. God, I pray that you would be glorified in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that your word would go deep and that it would bear fruit, that we would respond to your grace. God, help us to just to grow in that, to walk in grace, to stand fast in the grace of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for, for the gift of salvation, the gift of grace. We can't ever possibly understand the full depth of what that means, but we are thankful for it, Lord. We pray that you would just draw us close to your presence. Fill us up with, with more and more of who you are. Have your way with us all for your glory. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray. Amen.